Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, a podcast where a toxic comedian talks to a relationship therapist about dating in the modern world. I hope you're doing well. Uh, we have questions and topics available for us to answer and talk through. Go to neilcolhacker.com slash podcasts and it's $30 for a question or a topic. Um, we have a very a relatively intense topic uh, that we're going to talk through today. But before we get to that, Eliza, how are you going? I'm doing well. I mean, Neil and I have been sorting out tech issues for a long time. So I have upgraded my mic and I did not know this whole time that I didn't have to wear actual headphones. I could just wear earphones. Um, no one ever told me this. So did, apologies. Did you think there was something fundamentally different between <laughs> just the little Apple earphones in there? You had to have the if, oh, oh my God, I would not have subjected myself putting myself on the internet with kitty cat earphones if I hadn't fucking known that I could just wear earphones. So um, thanks, Neil. Yeah, it's, it's changed dramatically already, you know, from the pink uh, pink microphone and the, and the kitty cat. Yeah, I know. The kitty I'm, cat. I'm what, were they, what would you even call them? The ears, the headphone ears? Yeah, and the thing is, is that I thought I bought the ones where the ears were removable. So I was like, oh, they're just pink. But no, they they are there and they are staying. So lucky me. <laughs> How are they're you? All, they're all gone now. Uh, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm getting pretty restless. I'm getting really sick of lockdown. I want it to be over. I feel like the last two months I was actually quite all right and yeah. in a good routine. But look, I'm fine. But man, I really want to go to the pub. <laughs> And I'm an introvert, so that's saying a lot. <laughs> that's saying something. Yeah. Are you still doing plant-based? Yeah, yeah, I am actually, yeah. Good on you. You know How's what that? I found so interesting? Tell me if you've had this experience. If you just tell people that you're um, eating a plant-based diet, I don't even do it on purpose. It just comes up in conversation. They get really defensive immediately. And it's like, I didn't say anything. I didn't judge you. I didn't <laughs> Mate, say it's yeah. the most ethical position or anything like that. I just said that's what I'm currently doing. And people will, if I'm go, um, talking to them on, yeah, I know. The if, if I'm talking the to them um, on the internet, they'll send me an essay. And I, yeah. look, I never said anything about your diet at all. Literally, and it's, it's very interesting, isn't it? I've been dealing with that for like, how many years have I not been eating meat since I was 12? So. 15 years basic almost so that's pretty crazy that i'm so glad you get to experience that because i always describe this exact situation as being the worst part of being vegan is that everyone gets defensive and aggressive as soon as you tell someone and they go on this rant and then then vegans get the stereotypes as being the annoying ones but i'm like no it's most of us don't say anything because we cannot be fucked to have this conversation 30 times a day but i am uh i'm glad we oh, so experience. It's, it's so interesting. I mean, look, it, to be fair, it's been, what, three weeks or something, but um, it, it's, it's bizarre. Uh, it's, it would be a really interesting phenomenon to dive into. It's not really what this podcast is about, but um, very interesting, very interesting. What's your, what's your partner think? Does she feel like at all like shamed because you're plant-based and she's not like has she been defensive about it well yeah she was one of the people that were <laughs> got the most defensive and i wasn't saying yeah. anything i just said i'm gonna i'm gonna do this and then yeah. she was sending me all these essays and and telling me about these um studies that she learned in psychology where like oh it's actually you know people 
pers- uh, people uh, attribute a lot more guilt to the self when it can be easily attributable to um, larger societal concerns such as big business and, and corporations. Yeah, and I true. never said anything. I just, I just said, <laughs> "Yeah, I had tofu for dinner or something." And she sent me this essay, and I also didn't want to say, "Look, I'm not judging you," because I, I, I wasn't. But um, I just found it very, very interesting. Um, so I, I'm now trying to think about how I would re- have responded when people said they were vegan, or and I'm not even vegan. I'm a plant based, I guess technically yeah. right now um yeah and i'm eating honey so not even that <laughs> technically um but uh very interesting people get their walls up and and get really defensive i'd love to do a a, a podcast one day on just projection in general but particularly projection in yeah. relationships but i can't help but feel there could be some semblance of uh projection going on there because look i would understand if someone said like you know i'm a vegan because i think it's the most ethical choice then i would totally understand someone getting Mm. defensive but if you just say no i'm a vegan you're not you're not making an ethical judgment i i guess uh in that statement people are just assuming that and for most people that's a, a large reason why they're doing it but it's it's a very uh interesting experience i gotta admit very interesting well good on you i mean you'll have some good um maybe you'll come into your comedy routine one day who knows yeah i already did like a joke about uh well every comedian does jokes about vegans and then one of that (laughs) one of those um uh vegans with a large uh following did a response video Mm. and uh (laughs) i think they don't like me but you know i've i've come around hey (laughs) <laughs> for Reach now I don't look <laughs> I really don't know how long I'll actually last doing this you can't really say after what three weeks so yeah doesn't really count yet um but anyway we've probably lost like 80% of our uh, listenership now <laughs> everyone's just tuned out and Everyone unsubscribed like, oh, please guys, stop judging us uh, <laughs> um, you're fully vaxxed now aren't you yes yeah good on you wow so exciting adrian kept telling me yesterday when we went to get vaxxed he was like what would you do if someone like just his head exploded right now in front of us would you still get the vax and i was like um yeah and he's like what would you do if someone just died and like it did all these scenarios for like 20 minutes but we did it and um second one's much easier than the first and then i didn't realize you get an actual i'll show you like you know in your wallet on your phone you get a like an act. Well, maybe I shouldn't actually show that. But you can. It becomes like a, a a thing in your wallet on your phone. So you just double click and show it on your phone. I don't know. Cool story. <laughs> Needs more dragons. You're infected with the five G now. <laughs> I know, Tyranny. Literally. <laughs> You're being digitally branded. I tried to utilize it today. I called a doctor's appointment, um, and I was like, "Do are you taking new clients?" And they were like, "It's a two week." waiting um period for new clients and i was like but i'm double vaxxed she's like oh. yeah, still, still two weeks sorry <laughs> <laughs> don't care trying to skip it hasn't the yet line. worked me but we'll check in in a month and see yeah. see what's cool yeah here comes the vaccine apartheid that's what i've I seen it called <laughs> I yeah know. i don't have it yet um still waiting for the because i'm not in a hot spot so i don't think i can get i just if I am to get it, I'd, I'd rather Pfizer, and I still can't get that yet. So, yeah, waiting yeah. game. 
Um, Hopefully it becomes available before everyone comes out of lockdown and then you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, yeah, I'm worried about that. But they haven't yeah. announced yet what the actual restrictions on unvaxxed people are going to be because in America there's no... Look, some private organisations, you know, sport stadiums and, and some bars have um, put restrictions um, on people who are unvaccinated, mm. but the government itself, at least the federal government, I think their general position is where... Well, I think the the Democrats like the idea of va- vaccine mandates, but they're not enforcing it, and I think they're leaving it up to states. I think the UK has been pretty lax um, in terms of just going to venues, but for travel, mm. I think you have to show proof of vaccination. Right. But yeah, it's... it's yeah, I don't, I don't want to get, get into that. Here we go again. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's... It's weird, weird world that we're living in. We'll say that much. Um, oh, actually, I had a question for you. I'm just completely sidetracking this. And only I'll give you two minutes to answer it so we don't end up in a whole other podcast oh, where you repeat yourself. But okay. I was on YouTube scrolling through and I saw the Neil and Jordan one. And I don't know if it was, I think uh, it was one of your recent ones. And it was like the Logan Paul effect. Oh, yeah. What is that? What does that mean? I'm just, I was curious. The Jake Paul effect. Oh, Jake Paul. Oh. Do you know who Jake Paul is? I know there's, yeah, I know the brother. Is Jake the younger one? Jake's the younger one who yeah, is now, a, uh, has a fledgling yeah. career in professional boxing. Oh, yeah. um, so that podcast was just outlining my thoughts about not just Jake Paul, but the the path he's taken and how I think he's maybe paved the way for other outsiders to uh, gain notoriety in, in, in their field, especially if the field has been mired by corruption or uh, mm. has, a, I guess, a low opinion among the populace. And I think boxing has a lot of issues and mm. uh, the, the conditions are, are, are prime for someone like Jake Paul, who's a YouTuber. Well, now he's a boxer, but he was a YouTuber. Yeah. Uh, to come in and, and challenge the appropriate people with the incentive of a large payday without actually having challenged a single professional boxer yet um, to become one of the highest paid boxers in the world. It's, um, it's both disrespectful but remarkable at the same time. It's uh, a very wild. interesting phenomenon. Mm. So are you so, a fan or like a... Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of him personally. Um, I'm very interested in in what is occurring, yeah. as that podcast would have um, shown. But no, I'm not particularly a fan of him. I mean, look, I'll watch his fights. I didn't actually pay for that one, but I was trying to find a, a live stream for it, and I, I saw some. Yeah, YouTubers I saw that on TikTok. Commentating, but people um, were like, "Watch my live stream, so you don't give him money." And then it had like a hundred thousand views. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a very uh, wild phenomenon. I mean, there's so much noise surrounding him that people just want to see the fight. There's so many better um, boxing or just any combat sport fights out there, but. Uh, for whatever reason, for the sort of the narrative surrounding it and the and the celebrity of Jake Paul, mm-hmm. and and him playing the villain, people just want to see that fight, and he keeps winning. Although a lot of people said that one was set up, and it's boxing. Oh. I think look, a lot of things are set up, um, so who knows? But uh, yeah, I guess that was the what Very I called the Jake Paul I'll have effect. To have a, a listen. <laughs> yeah, see how <laughs> if I sound different. 
on that one. This one. <laughs> I'll give I think some I did. feedback. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we're going to uh, get into a subscriber question here. Now, this one is uh, pretty intense, so I'll just read it, and then I think I'll let Eliza take the lead for most of this, uh, at least initially. So this one comes from... Well, she hasn't specified whether uh, she wants to have Probably her name Probably don't. So I'll say, yeah. Yeah, okay. This one comes from R. So R says, Hey, Neil and Eliza, my boyfriend and I are huge fans of your podcast. We love listening to it together. Just to start off, I'd prefer to stay anonymous. Yep, okay. <laughs> um, trigger warning, but my question is related to sexual assault. I've been very open about my experience of sexual assault with my partner, and it's something he's very supportive of but also finds quite upsetting and it can sometimes get in the way of our sex life, which often leaves me feeling guilty and both of us quite upset. I've come very far with dealing with my trauma personally, but there is no rule book about how to deal with it in a relationship setting or have constructive conversations about it. And if you have any advice on it, we'd really appreciate it. So like I said, I think this is definitely something Eliza is better equipped to answer. Um, I'll let you take the reins, but then I think we can just talk about uh, a lack of sexual desire and, and those sorts of feelings of guilt generally. But Eliza, mm. you, uh, you go ahead. Yeah, well, thanks for being so, I guess, upfront and honest about your experience. And I know it's, it's never easy to write in and talk to people about that. So it's good that we can talk about this on our podcast because in, in previous times when we've touched on these top uh topics i always get messages being like can you do more on this can you talk more about it so it's good to kind of unpack it a little bit more and let's let's for the sake of this call her let's like name that starts with r rach let's go with rach because sure. i'm gonna get confused rach. if i keep saying r um so <laughs> <laughs> i guess rach and for anyone listening that it is really really common and expected that after any kind of assault um especially a sexual assault that it does have an impact on you know your, your view of intimacy your view of sex your view of closeness um and a lot of people say like how long is it going to take could it be three months could it be six months it could be three years it could be 10 years it could be 30 years you never know how long it's going to impact you and sometimes these things can't really be an undone um or, or work through on your own and you do need a lot of um assistance i always recommend to any sexual assault survivors to seek a professional um assistance and a see a counselor an sa counselor would be extremely beneficial for anyone um i do know that one in four people that have experienced sexual assault see a counselor so it's really um it's it's very available especially in australia hopefully depending on the area you're from otherwise you can even see online counselors but to touch on the topic i think it's really important i guess for our partners to know as well there's a lot that we want the partner to know did did rach um specify if her partner was male or female uh no it doesn't look okay. like oh hang on my boyfriend and i are huge fans of your okay. podcast so yeah, yeah she did. right okay <laughs> i find that there's a there's a very different understanding of how boyfriends um support and understand sexual assault of their partners than how girlfriends do and not and i'm really glad to hear that rachel's boyfriend she said has been like really really um understanding and supportive of her so that's really fantastic to hear but and the difference isn't that all women are more compassionate so they're more likely to um 
support her or go, you know, be more kind about it. But the the difference is, is that very frequently male partners will say, why didn't you fight back? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you stop him or, you know, the perpetrator? Why did you let it happen? Because very often for, um, women and girls that have been sexually assaulted it can happen at parties it can happen when you're out drinking with your friends it can happen at your house and before you know it it's really hard to explain to your partner like look we were drinking and you know we were in the pool and then I got sexually assaulted and he was like well why don't you scream out for help if there was people 10 min- like meters away and those kind of things can be really really confusing for the partner to understand so it's I really want to start with I guess an education around that for what might be helpful to start with, I guess, is that when people experience severe assault, especially sexual assault of any kind, that our logical brain shuts down completely and we're overtaken by a freeze, flight or fight response. And for women, like I think it's 70% of women experience um, a freeze, especially during sexual assault. So very often when you're questioning why didn't she scream, why didn't she run, why didn't she call for help or do anything, it's because your logic and your brain is shut down and your body takes over and it thinks the only way I can survive this is to completely um, sit still and or, or comply or go along with it or just be completely frozen. Um, and I know that 80% of women have that have been sexually assaulted have been sexually assaulted describe themselves as being completely unable to move like they feel that their muscles are locked like completely unable to control their bodies at all so it's really important that we understand that about our victims um because i know that a lot of people struggle with coming to understanding and in regards to sex we have to expect that our partners might have a lot of confusion around sex and intimacy they might be really fearful it's going to be a triggering event and you never know when it's going to bring up um, memories and a flashback and when you're when you're in a flashback what's basically happening is your body cannot determine from being in a safe place from being back to when you were being assaulted or when a terrible traumatic event happens so your body starts to shut down you might have a panic attack you might cry you might just get extremely angry or like get off me those kind of things and that's really normal and expected and it's really about keeping the environment as safe as possible for as long as possible until your body learns that these triggers and this event isn't likely to occur again, which is easier said than done. So I think that it's really normal for our victims to feel like guilt, shame, um, disgust, confusion, depression, anxiety, to have a low libido or lose where basically your idea of sex has gone from you know passion positive sexual energy it's a choice it's natural to then moving to like um it's hurtful it's addictive it's it's a power tool so your, your views of sex completely change after an assault so i think that that's a really it's really important for our partners to recognize that and support it because i know i've actually had a lot of um, boyfriends reach out to me or men reach out to me before saying like, you know, I do feel really, really bad. And I feel like so heartbroken at what happened, but it's been two years. Like how, when can I expect this to like, you know, get better? When can I expect her to move on? And how long do I have to just deal with this for that? Every time I put my arm around her, she freaks out. Um, So, and it is, it's one of those things where you have to be, you cannot be selfish in this and you have to let that person take control of making sure that they feel complete control and autonomy over their own body. Do you feel like that's 
an okay introduction. That was a very long ramble was, I went on no, there. No, that was um, great. That uh, very detailed. Yeah, <laughs> very detailed. I, I just, I feel really passionate about this subject and it's something, unfortunately, that a lot of women have experienced. And I know when we talked about stats last time, a lot of people were upset because the stats I was bringing up weren't necessarily solely Australian stats. So when I looked it up with solely Australian stats that one in three women have experienced sexual assault. And most of those age groups is either the highest age group was between um, 15 and 19 year old girls. And then the second highest was 10 and under. So it's really, really common, unfortunately, for, for young women to be sexually assaulted. And the rates of sexual harassment was like 95 plus percent as well. So that's different to sexual assault, but still incredibly high. Um, Can I, how yeah. do they, what's the line there between harassment and when does it become assault? So Assault is basically defined off the physical aspect of it, um, co like intense a coercion. Um, so, for example, if you held a gun to my head and said, do this to me, even though you didn't physically force me to, like with your hands, but you were threatening to me, that would be accounted as assault. Um, uh -huh. But if you were walking past me and you said, you should do this to me, you dirty slut, that's sexual harassment. So I'm not being forced into um, committing a sexual act with you, but that's, yeah, that would be the difference between the two. Um, so like one in three as, as sexual assault is really, really shocking, especially when you take into the age of those, of those groups. And the highest um, age of perpetrators was, I think it was like, as well between 15 and 23 for um for boys so like you know that just before the 20s was the highest or most average um hmm. age for perpetrators which was really shocking as well and most likely of course to be known to you most likely to be a family member a friend someone that you is a in the social member. circus oh yeah especially for children um of Ugh. kids under yeah under 15 is most likely to be a family member but yeah it's incredibly common i think it's 80 percent of perpetrators are known to the victim which is like mm. Mm. really shocking um so in 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 regards to what I really want to touch on a bit, and I spoke a little bit about Neil before, is how I looked up some community views and statistics around this. So I got the statistics for this from, I've written it down, I got it from um, Australia's National Research Organization for Women's Safety, the Australian Bureau of Stats as well, um, and a couple of studies that were completed, the NCAS findings in <laughs> 2017 in Australia. And basically, what was found let me i'll read these out for you so one in five percent or 19 percent of individuals were unaware that non-consensual marriage is against the law uh, sorry non-consensual sex in marriage is against the law um one in ten percent one in ten people or eleven percent believe that women are probably lying about sexual assault if they don't report it straight away 40% of people agree that it's common for sexual assault accusations to be used as a way just to get back of men. And one in three, 33% of people believe that rape resulting from men is resulted from men not being able to control their need for sex. 
Um, one in eight agree that a man is justified in having non-consensual sex if the woman initiated intimacy in a, in a scenario where a couple had just met. And one in seven agree that this was justified in a scenario where the couple were married and the woman initiated in, uh, intimacy. So, and a little bit more, up to 15% of people think it's justified for a man to force a woman to have sex if she kisses him. One in 10 people think that if a woman falls asleep during sex, it's understandable if a man continues to have sex with her anyway. And nearly a third of all people believe that if a woman sends a nude image to her partner, she is partially responsible if he shares it without permission. And lastly, nearly half of Australians think it's common for sexual assault accusations are to be used um, as a way of getting back at men, which well, that was already in there, but yeah. So pretty, pretty crazy um, stats that really show the way that a lot of people view sexual assault, especially when women are victims. So it's, um, it's really sad to read that, I think. What, what are your mm. thoughts when you hear those? Um, I know we've had some experiences in previous podcasts where uh, it hasn't necessarily gone that well. So I don't, I, I guess I, I'm naturally inclined to not, definitely not disagree with anything like that, but you know, maybe play devil's advocate. But mm. I, I think for the purpose of this podcast, uh, we won't we won't do that. And then maybe we can do a podcast um, in future episodes about, you know, sexual assault against men or something like that. But yeah. hearing some of those statistics are pretty, uh, they're pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. I guess, what do you think is the solution to some of this? If one in three women are experiencing sexual assaults and 95% are experiencing sexual harassment. Do you think, uh, do you think we can ever get to a point where it is zero? Uh, what sort of policies would you put into place to mitigate and then hopefully eradicate, um, some of these issues? Oh, it's, it's such a loaded question. And it's like, I feel so, not qualified to answer that because it's just yeah. it's so it's such a loaded question honestly and the best thing and i know people always say this but the best thing is just education um as much education from a really young age as we can and especially our men um and also girls in how to respond to um you know any any kind of assault so when i was looking into this what i found really interesting actually there was a study completed where they had women like safe like me that are always like oh if a man ever commented on my tits or something i'll call them out like i would say something blah 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 so they did this study with women and then a period of time passed and they got the same woman in for a job interview that they perceived to be a real job interview so it was like months later and all of the women during the interview were intentionally sexually harassed by the interviewee where they were asked like, would you wear, um, would you go braless or like, do you wear panties? Like those just kind of subtle, like slipping those questions in and almost all women were responded being smiling, polite and answering the questions, um, despite coming out afterwards saying they felt incredibly, um, disrespected, incredibly shocked, upset, um, and and really angry but when faced with it were were too afraid to confront it and i know like from my own experience in high school being we had like a police officer come in to talk about what happens if you come to a situation where you're about to get raped and how to respond 
And we all thought we were going to learn, like, you know, you punch them in the balls and you, like, jab them in the throat and you gouge his eye out, like, you know, how they do that in movies and sometimes. But basically, he he did go through that, but he was, like, the most, first of all, the most effective thing you can do is scream. But secondly, like, if you're in a, in a scenario where you can't scream or you're not safe, he, and he was, like, 95% of the time, the best chance you have of of surviving is to be compliant you know act like you're not confrontational like act like you're going along with it and then try to get into say you need to go to the bathroom and try to call someone so that's I think that was really interesting and shocking for me to hear that as a teenager that I was like here I am listening to this 50 year old man say if someone is trying to rape you just pretend to be compliant for the sake of your own safety um, and I understand why it makes sense you know with the men are more likely to be much more stronger violent or bigger it's you know it's what are the chances of surviving if you fight back you know can Mm. reduce that but very shocking that that's how we're really conditioned to just be as compliant as possible to not aggravate our perpetrators or potential you know people that are going to harass us or assault us so and how to undo that is is educate from as, as young as possible. I always say that you should be talking to your kids about sex before the age of seven. <laughs> like before then, as early as possible. They should know what the word um, consent means. They should know about it. You know, I, I work with a lot of boys in my work at the moment, a lot of teenage boys that have per- been perpetrators of um, sexual assault like a lot of them um so i see it a lot and it's really hard to to re-educate them on that but when what i found in common with all these boys is that they just had no idea they didn't know they didn't think about it they lacked empathy they lacked understanding and they just thought well what's the what is the big deal if i just grab her tits and put a hand on my dick like what is the, the like i know it's shitty but is it that big of a deal so those kind of things I think really needed to be put into these children to have an understanding of the long-term impacts of that um, going forward and how that can affect someone for life and, and ruin people's lives. So, yeah. Mm. Did you get talks like that in high school? Yeah, we, uh, we always had those uh, groups of actors that would come in and talk about, you know, do little plays about if you get drunk at a party... Um, what to do, what not to do. And I remember once when we were in, I think, year eight or year nine. I think it was year eight. We were quite young, 13, 14. And um, this troupe of actors were coming in and recreating a scene where um, I think a girl had drunk too much. And I think there was just sort of general you know poor behavior Mm. occurring and then i remember one of the people from our school asking how old are these are these other kids and then uh one of the actors said oh they're about 13 14 and we were all aghast we were just shocked because wow we went to a i went to a very um selective school so we weren't uh doing that till maybe year 11 at least and when i say Mm. that i mean partying and drinking and and Mm. um so I remember that, but um, other than that, I don't uh, don't remember any specific. Oh, we had sex ed, and they had a general chat to us about respect, and um, they did cover those sorts of topics. Mm. But uh, as far as I can remember, that's all. That's all I recall. 
Um, mm. One of the things I found I, interesting here was um, that it was saying almost, I can't remember, one in three people think that rape occurs just because men can't control their urges, like sexual urges. What are, what are your thoughts on that one? On the the cultural implications of one in three people thinking that, or just no, just like what? on on that. Um, I guess. Do you think that could be accurate, especially considering no. the age of no, that's not perpetrators no. is most likely to be fifteen to nineteen when you're super hormonal anyway? So, do you think no, that could I be under, accurate? No, I don't think that's ever an excuse to say, "Oh, I was horny, therefore." <laughs> no, not an know. excuse, but but the the perpetrator's reason. It's like I just like. Not that it justifies it, but I needed this because I was so driven for sex. To no, well, what do you mean? What are my thoughts on it? What do well? Okay, so what I'm trying to get at is that I think that a lot of people believe that you know the reason why perpetrators assault in the first place is because they're so desperate to get off that they're like, I've, no one's giving it to me. I'm just going to take it from someone. Oh, but in that then, sense. Yeah, but then there's other theories that maybe it's it's not it's not actually about sexual gratification. It's about power control and like coercion and abuse. Yeah, I mean, from a I guess a, a scientific sense, um, it would be interesting to I guess see a study where there's you know a lot of men who I maybe haven't gotten laid and whether that does result in more sexual assault now, but from a moral perspective, that's not, mm. I would never say that's an excuse, but yeah, I do yeah. think it's worthwhile looking into something like that. Um, but, uh, the fact that one in three people think that it's justified because a man has pent up sexual energy, I would never say that you know, when an assault on someone's autonomy is justified because you uh, are feeling a certain way, you know, you can't make that argument for um, violence or, yeah, you yeah. You, know, you can be as angry as you want, but as soon as you throw that first punch, you're the criminal. So yeah. it's never an excuse that um, they pushed me to the brink or, you know, I was feeling a certain way. So I don't see how it can be morally justifiable but like I said, it would um, be interesting to, well, when I say interesting, I think it would be educational to mm. uh, look into factors that maybe sort of contribute to um, sexual assault. And if that is a factor, um, that would just have to come into our understanding of how better to uh, fight against this. Mm. Um, I'd... Uh, how do they, I guess in a situation where to me it would be very, and look, neither of these are morally justifiable, but it would be different, say, if it's a guy who's just an, a total incel who has no moral compass and, and he's like, well, I haven't had sex for a year, therefore I'm allowed to do something like this. That's reprehensible. Now, if it's I guess a, a boyfriend girlfriend situation and there was foreplay and then he yeah. kept going. I wouldn't, I still, I'm not making a justification for something like this at all. I still think they've done the wrong thing. Mm. Um, I think there's a def different level of like moral um, wrongdoing there. 
yeah. but I also understand that's a, that this is a very tough conversation and like I said, I just naturally play devil's advocate and, and like to dive deeper into a lot of these things and I'm going to try to re- refrain from doing that too much in this, um, in this podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. Coming back to, I guess, uh, Rach and her experience and then uh, the experience her and her boyfriend are having as a couple, uh, what are some... Are there any practical steps or exercises they can employ to help alleviate that situation? Yeah, I think that it's really, this sounds cliche, but communication is really, really important. And it's also really important for Rachel's partner to be able to attune to her and, and read when her body is becoming like rigid or uncomfortable. And if she's saying, no, keep going, read the cues read her body because often she'll be fighting a battle or, or victims will be fighting a battle be like no i want to please my partner i want to be intimate but then their body starts shutting down um so it's really important that you stop and wait till your partner is comfortable and that you sense that they're comfortable as well um like i said before that the environment is really really important it's essential that your the victim feels that they're in a safe environment and that Sometimes it might be that they can't do it in like have sex or intimacy in bedrooms because that's where it occurred. You know that you might have to think of outside the box, um, find out what they're comfortable with, or try experiment in very very slow ways experimenting. Mm. Um, so one of the best ways to to kind of move towards regaining intimacy and and changing your perspective to sex as something that's you know shared consensual. A moment of between partners is becoming comfortable with your own body so whether that be you know having at least some some solo play and things like that is a really really good step forward for victims um but also allowing like uh, i would recommend actually in in kind of linking in with this is a tantric um approach to sex so tantric sex is very i guess like it's spiritual but the way that it goes around is so gentle that it almost would be the best way to approach um sex if you have if you're willing to take that step as um a, a person that has experienced sexual assault so the way around um tantric sex is at all times your your chests are like you know facing each other so your fate you're not you know she's not facing their wall or she's not this way you have to be able to read each other's face um keeping your eyes open is a part of tantric tantric sex as well so that's really good because you know if she if she closes her eyes and she's just thinking back it's it's really hard to differentiate between who is inside her right now or who is touching her right now so keeping her present with you is is the whole point of tantric and also before any kind of um penetrate penetration occurs with tantric sex a lot of it is like 30 40 50 minutes of just exploring each other's body so some people what they would do is one person will lie flat on his or her back and the other person will go and just rub her arms like very almost to begin with non-sexual you you try to keep it non-sexual for as long as you can while you're just loving and appreciating that person's body so her getting familiar and comfortable with her partner's um ongoing you know, touch to her body, touching her arms, her shoulders, stroking her hair, those kind of things, her belly, her thighs, moving, starting away from those kind of zones um, and then asking consent before going forward. Is this okay? Checking in. Are you comfortable? Do you need a break? Those kind of things are really good. Um, So I, I would definitely recommend that and also allow her to do that to your body so she can try to really 
reframe her mind to think this this body is safe for me this body is 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 warmth and comfort for me and understanding that sex may be different for a long time you may not be able to have penetrative sex a lot of women in particular that have experienced sexual um, assault that involves oral sex can never give oral sex again and as the partner you have to accept that and you have to understand that because the way in which those situations go down um, can be so traumatizing and horrific that it's really, really un. It's difficult to un- undo that. Um, so a-, a lot of girls that I know that have been sexually assaulted will not and cannot give oral sex, um, and some struggle to receive as well because of it. And that that can take years and years to undo those views of that and be comfortable with that. And it's important that you understand that your partner may not be ready to work towards that, and you have to accept that and 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 support them through that she might say I'm, I'm not ready to even practice or or take a baby step towards that and even want to look it in the eyes or be eye level with it it's true it's too triggering and you have to be as supportive as possible because sexual assault is the most invasive kind of assault um you can possibly experience so a lot of compassion and patience is needed for this mm. uh speaking about uh just a lack of sexual desire more broadly any mm. where there any anywhere that where there are uh, feelings of guilt uh where oh i feel so bad that i am not turned on by this person or that i can't have sex with this person just exacerbates the problem so mm. she said in this uh question uh it leaves me feeling guilty and both of us quite upset so as long as she's continuing to feel guilty that's going to just make it that much harder for her to mm. Uh, eventually be able to engage in intimacy so rather than seeing it as the just the intimacy itself or the sex it it, it might be worthwhile actually trying to combat those feelings of guilt um the more you know if if yeah if she's feeling like you know i do really love this person i just feel so guilty that i can't um have sex with him uh or just even be intimate with him um then you're also now associating intimacy with guilt um, in the same mm. way previously associated intimacy with, well, you know, I can only imagine what it would have been like, but this is also a bad association. So mm. uh, do you think we can now talk about just dead a lack of sexual desire in in general or would you like to say anything else on on this particular question yeah well just like linking those two together i think you raise a really good point about um you know the feelings of guilt when you're like i want to please someone and then taking that as a um f- feeling ashamed or feeling frustrated and angry being like why can i do this it's really really important for your partner to support you and communicate to your partner and say, I need you to accept this. I need you to understand this. You know, I'm frustrated, but I I really can't. I need you to try your hardest not to be frustrated as well. It's kind of like not it's it's very different but similar in a way to when you know if a a guy can't reach orgasm or he loses his erection and then you know if the girl is upset because she thinks it's about you know oh he's he's not into me and she gets upset and or the partner and then he's all of a sudden feeling really really ashamed it's the difference between she goes her having that reaction or being like oh it's all right it happens like that's that's cool don't worry that's not a problem like doesn't change anything it's, it's totally fine like 
that kind of approach mm. will really, really help alleviate his sense Definitely. of guilt. Um, so that's that's really important. And that kind of comes up in a lot of situations if you have, you know, erectile dysfunction or, you know, if you're on antidepressants and you lose your libido or your ability to orgasm, maintain an erection, um, mm. lubricate as a female. So it's it happens quite frequently. And we really rely on our partners to to just normalize that and and be okay with that and support Mm. us through that it's really important look i know it's natural when you're with someone you love and and there's an issue in terms of the intimacy you can sort of um take that personally and think oh they why are they not attracted to me why don't they want to have sex with me can't they see that i am Mm. doing my best and i really care for them but if you lash out emotionally or if you even just sigh or yeah, give that, that response or yeah. uh, all you're doing is furthering that association of um, intimacy with either shame or guilt or whatever negative emotion it may be. And that will just uh, make the other person feel like sex is a, or just intimacy is a chore and mm-hmm. no one wants to do something if it's a chore. No one wants to, be to do. Feared. Yeah, no one wants yeah. to do something if they're afraid of it. If they feel like it's a chore. If they feel uh, coerced to do it. Uh, yeah. To you know use well, maybe that's not the appropriate word there. But if they feel like they have to do it, um, it's just going to exacerbate the problem. Now, a lot of people uh, understand that you know in a relationship, I they they want to please the other person. Um, some people might even feel like, you know, if it's, a, if it's a religious relationship or if it's just a very meaningful relationship, it's, it's my obligation uh, to, uh, you know, provide some form of sexual intimacy for mm. this, this person. But that is not conducive for actual romance. Now, yeah. it, as soon as it feels like a responsibility, um, it, it won't help. Now, I know there's a lot of... Uh, if we are now transitioning into just dead dead bedrooms or just a lack of intimate desire in general, um, it's such a stereotype, you know? The, the middle-aged married man, oh, the wife never wants to have sex with me. Now, if you have that reaction where you roll your eyes and, and you not necessarily attack her for it, but uh, malign her for it and, and sort of get get frustrated at her for it, that's just... That's just going to make it even worse because she's going to, and this is, you know, gender is interchangeable here, but generally that's Mm. the stereotype, isn't it? So Mm. um, she's going to feel like it's a, like I was saying, it's a, it's a chore or even worse, she's going to feel like, well, you're a child and she sort of has to provide something for you because you're basically, you know, not begging for it, but um, needing it in the same way a child might need something. And that is... That's the biggest turnoff there is. Uh, yeah. The last uh, relationship dynamic you want, if there's a lack of um, intimate desire, broadly speaking here, uh, is the mother-child dynamic. Yeah. Uh, if if she feels like, you know, oh, like he's always just, he just needs sex to be happy. Mm. It's just the biggest turnoff. Well, I mean, tell me if I'm correct here, but I'd, yes. I'd, I'd imagine... <laughs> That's yeah. just the biggest turnoff for uh, any woman exactly. or man as well. Uh, I guess maybe for men, I don't know. But, um, you know, if there's, if there's that far, the daddy dynamic there. But 
might be a bit different, but um, and some people are into the mummy thing as well. Oh, okay, yeah. Look, gentle femden. Yeah, that's true. Look, there are yeah. there are you know exceptions to every rule. But the there, cliche, but, yeah, that's yeah, a bit different. The cliche yeah. there is just yeah. like the sort of the middle aged man with the dad bod dad begging for sex, and well, no wonder she doesn't want to have sex with you if you if you're begging for it and sort of yeah. acting like you you need it. Um, yeah. Exactly. Coming back to something I read in one of Esther Perel's book a long time ago is that couples that don't necessarily organise a time to have sex each each week or each fortnight or whatever, whenever it is, but like organise a space and a time to be intimate um, and just create the atmosphere where sex is most likely mm. to happen and yeah. not get mad at each other if one person doesn't want to partake in it. Because again, as soon as mm. you get mad at the other person, it's just a, it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy there. So... Yeah. Uh, now, how that looks like, I don't know. You can be creative there, but um, that's what she said in, in, in her book and yeah, it makes a lot mm. of sense. It, looking back on, you know, some early relationships I, I had where there was a sort of lopsided uh, sexual desire and then I'd get frustrated, which would make her feel a little bit guilty but also just less attracted as a result. Mm. And then that she'd be less likely to want to have um, mm. sex. So yeah. you you got to yeah. think a bit creatively about this. And if a partner feels guilty or feels like they uh, have to do something, don't think about it in, in terms of the sex, but in terms of, okay, how can I make them not feel feel like they have to do it? Uh, yeah, it's a it's an interesting concept. The whole organizer timeline. I'm actually someone that's really all for that. Um, for you know longer term relationships or um or yeah. any relationship, I guess. Um, and what's really interesting about it is people always find it like cringe, being like, I'm not going to do that. But when you think about human psychology and the psychology of habits, it's like when you start having a relationship, say, and and um, you're having Netflix and chill nights, right? And you, you have sex on the couch and then blah, blah, blah. A couple of days later, he comes over. You have sex on the couch. All of a sudden, every time you're sitting on the couch, you're getting spicy. You're getting turned on because you've, you've kind of gone into the habit of when I'm on the couch with this person, this is what occurs. So when you organize a kind of ritual, a sex ritual, I am, a it, sex is, ritual. <laughs> it is such a great tool for couples that need to spark or, or regain um intimacy so it can be like okay on friday nights we have a date night we watch game of thrones we have a pizza and then we have sex or whatever and then you do it one time you do it three times you do it four times by by the fifth time this, by the time you start eating your pizza you're already getting excited for the sex because that's how your body's learned that routine and then you know it's going to be mm, awkward interesting in, two weeks later when you go out with your friends with pizza and you start being like, Fuck, I can't wait to get home and get spicy. But <laughs> you can rope learn yourself into developing habits. So if you want to learn more about that, read two books. The first one, Atomic Habits, and you'll understand what I'm mm. talking about. And secondly, the best book I've ever read that I recommend any male and female person or, or person with a, um, a female partner to read is Come As You Are. It's the big pink book. It will just, it will change your mind on sex and your approach to sex with women. And it helped, this book has helped so many women. I know literally, I can think of 15 girls or it's basically about the way that we approach sex does not often work for women. And some people have, some women have like say 
less than 10% of women have one of those spontaneous sex drives where they're like, I'm spicy. Like I'm horny. Let's go. Let's go. Fuck like whatever. And it's really great. But Mm. 90% of women have a slower sex drive that it's a build and they need this condition, this condition, this Mm. condition to be in place before they can. They can't do it when they're stressed. It's not as stressful. Anyway, it's got all these avenues and you can figure out which one you fit into. And then you can communicate to your partner and be like, okay, I've realized that like, for example, some women need to have their body stimulated first before they can actually become aroused. And some women need to be, um, be aroused before they start sexual, you know, touch. So they're like, don't touch me. I'm not in the mood yet. Like try to like, you know, do this or do something sexy, get me in the mood. But then other women are like, I'm not going to be in the mood until you, you, your dick's inside me, basically, or your fingers are inside me, that kind of thing. So really, really interesting. Um, change the perspective of sex. And everyone I know that has read it or, and even like all the reviews on this book, if you go online, there's like thousands of women literally saying like, this has turned me from having sex once a month with my husband to three times a week because I didn't understand how my sexual drive works um, and how women's sexuality works. So very, go. very much recommend it. Um, and in, in couples therapy, when I did a um, course in relationship counseling, in this degree, constantly they were saying that couples counselors are always, and sex therapists are always torn between two sp- perspectives. One of them is do not have sex. This is a, this is taking out any sexual assault um, victims, by the way, because this mm. does not apply. But one side was camp, you know, don't have sex unless, you know, you, you feel that desire, you feel that arousal. And then the other 50%, which I feel like I sit in this camp, is that actually if you engage in the act, you plan the act, you, you kind of create your sex ritual or whatever, then once you get into the habit of it, you want to like, you want to continue it. So like a lot of, if you go on dead bedrooms on Reddit, a lot of the kind of internet routine is have sex every night for 21 days, nonstop. Even when you don't feel like it, even if you really don't want it, just do it. And then by the end of the three weeks, everyone's saying, man, me and my my wife have sex. You know, it's been two years. We still have sex four times a week now or three times a week. So it's just that getting into the habit and creating that ritual. Yeah. But wouldn't that have sort of, that would have been the, the case at the start of the relationship anyway you know that's usually when you are having sex very often yeah um mm-hmm. so how does then i'm just trying to think of how you know then for i would have that's i'll just say that's interesting because I, it goes against what i i would have assumed which is that if you're forced to or not forced but feel like it you would feel like it's a chore at some point in those three weeks um, yeah. if by the third or fourth day, oh, I don't even want to do it, but uh, all right, fine. But then you're associating it with, yeah. um, labor, like a job essentially. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess I would have assumed that would then long-term work against a, a healthy sex drive, but there you go. There you go. Yeah. That's well, really I mean, that's why there's people torn in these two camps, but there's, you know, there's other ways around it where you can kind of rip learn it. For example, a lot of um, ways that I, I, I tell the women that have lost their spark or whatever, I say, as soon as you know that you, you feel like you're going to have sex that night, or you feel like, you know, you could be getting a little spicy or you're ovulating. So you make way more likely to want to engage in sex, put on some fucking good 
lingerie or something like that, right? And then after you've done that and then you have sex, you do it again, then you have sex, you do it again, you have sex. Every single time you put on lingerie after that, you're going to want to have sex every single time. So if you go to bed wearing lingerie, you're most likely going to want to have sex Mm. because that's the way your body, it's the same way we approach bed and sleep. That's why a a lot of people say sometimes, don't have sex in bed because as soon as you sit or lie in bed, your body goes, well, this is where I sleep. This is my place of sleep. So all of a sudden it releases the slow serotonin when you're getting tired and sleepy and calm, and then you don't Mm. want to engage in sex. So that's why a lot of people love, you know, opt for the couch (laughs) or the carpet if you have one or the fireplace. Interesting. Interesting. But no, just the sort of psychology and the sort of emotional association makes such a big difference. You know, I would have always assumed uh, if you know a, a a man who's been in a long-term relationship and is struggling to um achieve the level of intimacy that he would desire uh you know you'd think well rather than sort of sitting down and actually in most relationship issues i think actually sitting down and, and sort of communicating is yeah. the best um response now to a certain degree with a situation like this i would guess that it would be but i would also intuitively think now look i am not particularly well versed on this but i would intuitively think all right rather than sit down and actually say to this girlfriend of yours hey look i feel like we're not having enough sex because again i just assume all right i'll just bring up feelings of guilt do something that weekend where she will feel sexy now whether it results in sex doesn't matter but like you're then giving you're like creating the best chances of that occurring you know, whatever that may be, if you've been dating her for two, three years, you'd probably have a pretty good idea of um, when, what helps her de-stress and what helps her Mm. feel confident and and beautiful and whatever that may be, you know, you book a dinner reservation and maybe you do organize some lingerie or like, you know, nice dinner gown or a massage before, and then she's in a good mood and she's in a sort of free mood and um doesn't necessarily mean it'll it'll happen but but yeah i guess intuitively i would have just thought all right it would be more likely to happen then yeah (laughs) unless but if it's too obvious but if it's too obvious then she would just bring up feelings of guilt again she's gonna she's gonna want it she'll shut it down before it even starts it's an interesting point because i i feel torn between those two whether you communicate it i i mean obviously i would say communicate it because that's just my job but um also, it is a, a, an interesting perspective to see, at least try once and see if mm. I change the environment here, is that going to be an influence? But don't do it so obviously the, where yeah. the she's like, obvious, Ugh, yeah. you're just doing this because you want to like, I feel like an object, you whatever. But when we did um, <laughs> that podcast, it was ages ago. I can't remember what it was. It was like an acronym about men that refuse, men going their own way. <laughs> Oh yeah, 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 that yeah. One. and when I looked at all these um, videos about it online, and most of the men that were a part of this group or community were divorced, and they were like, "Why is it that my wife she didn't want to fuck me, and then as soon as we divorce, she's out with this other guy, and then I hear you know she, they're having wild sex, blah blah blah. Like I thought she had no libido, and all of a sudden she does because it's new. A lot of what is lacking." four, five, 10, 20 years into a relationship is, is adventure, flirting and playfulness. And when you don't have that stress and you're looking at your partner as someone or that your sexual partner as someone that relieves your stress rather than adds to your stress. So 
keep that in mind, I think, is a, it's an interesting point. But definitely it is worth communicating it, but not in a way where you're like, babe, like, why won't you suck my dick? Like, come on. That's not going to work for you, buddy. Like the best thing to do <laughs> is be like, I miss you. I miss your body. I miss your intimacy. Like I mm. want I want us to feel really close and connected. So that's, that's a, I think that's a good way to approach it. Yeah, but you, you're right in saying that it is tough because it's such a tightrope to walk because yeah. you don't, as soon as you do make it obvious, yeah, you can get that. You risk getting that People reaction. People get defensive of, too, yeah. Um, oh, you're just doing all this just to have just to have sex and now look that can also be a pretty unhealthy view yeah no he's not treating you like an object he's yeah he wants to um that's his love language more than anything yeah so and he wants to express that to you so it might have to involve a mindset change from from her as well it's kind of one of those things where it's like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't because if you try to have sex with her without doing all these things after a dead bedroom then she'll be like or he will be like well like you didn't ever do anything you never make me feel special you never do this blah blah mm. blah and then if you do those thing she's like well you were never doing that now all of a sudden you do it just because you want to get laid so i think a really good way to start yes. though would just be like i you know like i said before i want to feel close to you like is is there i want to increase our intimacy like what are your thoughts and is there something i can do for you is there something i can do to help you feel like connected to me and feel desire with me like what what would that look like for you so people are like oh that's such an unsexy conversation you don't have to have it right before you're about to have sex and like it's not your dirty talk like have it as over dinner and be like what what do you find attractive in a partner like what what do you find appealing mm. what can i do for you um those kind of things uh, really it's amazing how many couples will go 10 years without knowing what their partner's turn turn ons are so you can do like you can also do um <laughs> the game never the, ends yeah you can speaking of games you know these little online games i can't remember what it's called but if you just look it up it's really easy to find where basically you both fill out like a quiz online and it's like what would you want your partners um what do you like sexually so you might say i like hair pulling i like chocolate on my nipples and i like whatever this and he might say i like a b and hair pulling and all it shows you it sends an email to you with only the shared things you have in common so you don't find out about these weird things that each other are into but it shows what you're and there's also i like this and i'm open to this so i thought that was like interesting Uh, yeah yeah actually i think i had a friend that did that with his partner recently um You know, I won't. I won't share their uh, shared. <laughs> do it, uh, do it anonymously. Come on. Uh, I think it was the same. I'll or share something. as well. So yeah. Um, you think what? I think they both, because he was too afraid to ask if she would be into anal, and then I think from this email she said, "I'm open to that," and yeah. he was just very excited about it. I think. <laughs> That's good. Good on it. Adrian so and I overrated. did it too, like ages ago, and literally both of us just put, "I'm open." I'm open to this for every single like possible thing. So when we got the email, we're like, "What? Oh, this is man. this is not helpful for us." <laughs> but um, being well, so, I guess so, it is. Then you know nothing would turn them off. off. I should actually nothing's say disclaimer. That's from my memory. I'm sure there were things that were weird in there that we both said I'm not into. I can't remember, but <laughs> like, um, you never. Would know. you would you say a good a good mentality to have is I guess when because what usually happens is like when this intimacy dries up that's when people start trying to work on it and you know it, it's 
like with being aroused or even like with just pursuing women or, or men um, in a lot of these situations, the more you try, the more that desperation is going to come, come across and that's going to work against you. So uh, would you say, I guess, when intimacy is good early on in a relationship, it's good to just have that mindset of um, not just about, oh, the sex is so good, we do it all the time but like what what's something i can do you know even once a week once a fortnight that can maybe improve it or just like mm. to try something new so you so you set that up um mm. initially and yeah. um hopefully that will then uh better uh prevent the likelihood of a dead bedroom you know if you're already exactly. you know a couple months in thinking about well, all right, what can, what can we do this week? That's a bit different. What can I do physically for my partner? Um, because it's, it's sometimes too effortless at the start. So then when, when a partner has to actually put in effort, uh, it's, it's strange and it's weird. Yeah. And, and people then feel resentful because they, they feel like, oh, at the start, I didn't have to put in all this effort. Now suddenly I have to put in this effort. You know, I don't, I don't like that. And as soon as those, any feelings of resentment, guilt, Etc. If they arise, mm. it's just going to exacerbate the problem. It kills so it's actually the mood. sort of yeah. yeah. It's trying to prevent those feelings. You should try to focus on that and mm. be creative about that. Be you know, um, you know, have a, think about that intelligently and and how can I actually <laughs> alleviate yeah. her feeling of guilt rather than like how can I get my girlfriend to have sex with me yeah. more. Ask yourself questions like that, I think. But look, again, oh, I'm okay. the I'm the comedian here. Don't don't. Uh, <laughs> I'm not Neil, the sex you're therapist. A borderline qualified sex expert these days. Give yourself some credit. We've talked. How many hours have we talked about sex now? Honestly, Too what many. episode are we on? Ah, <laughs> uh, fifty-seven, I think. Are wow. we fifty-seven? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, getting there. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of talk. A lot of topics we've gone through related to sex and relationships so i would say that's probably like you've almost done half a degree <laughs> well yeah. of time maybe Qualified not of actual sex expert <laughs> yeah you say that put it on your resume oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah put that on tinder <laughs> do it oh wait well, i'm not on i'm not on right now um that'd just be cringy if a guy did it <laughs> cool for oh, I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would find that even though really some guys probably hot. would if they've actually studied it. But uh, as soon as you brag, look, everything is subtext. Okay, everything is the nonverbal communication when it comes to relationships and um, um, intimacy. Well, not everything. We did say, look, sometimes there's um, a good opportunity to just communicate directly, but. Uh, with intimacy, dating, romance, so much of it is just nonverbal communication. And as soon as you mm-hmm. say things explicitly and directly, it can be a turn off or it can mm-hmm. have the wrong effect. And if you if you want something too much, it actually um, makes it harder to att- attract. So <laughs> take, take do with that what you will. Yeah, I know that's hard <laughs> advice, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that thing you want, don't chase it. <laughs> and then what do I do? Well, I don't know. <laughs> but if you yeah. chase it, that'll make it worse. <laughs> All <Sorry>. right. <laughs> well, um, thank you for listening, guys. Uh, Rach, thank you very much for your question. 
Uh, we'd love to hear an update, maybe in a couple of months or a, a year, if you and your uh, boyfriend are still listening to our podcast. Um, and there's so many topics from just this podcast that I think we can do uh, future episodes on. You know, I think uh, there's definitely ample opportunity to want to do one about. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, you know, there's this really good um, Instagram page called the Tin Men that I uh, tell everyone to to follow because it sort of paints um, male issues from a very non-resentful or non-judgmental um, angle, and all the uh, women I've uh, told about that page really like it. So it's on Instagram. It's just at the Tin Men. Um, in fact, Let's it's getting it to a point where I'm like, oh, this is just cringy, man. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but no, there's just one recent post that was a bit weird where he said, masculinity is a feeling. And I was like, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> but um, uh, no, I really like that page. I, uh, I, I think that's a really, really good uh, uh, illustration of, I guess, men's issues, but from a, from a place that's not hateful, that's not resentful. Mm very open and you know invites a dialogue and i uh, just look at looking at the comments on it a, a lot of it uh, is is women as well so i can't recommend that page enough i do post it on my instagram sometimes um and there's some very interesting uh statistics that that come up there so i think it will be worthwhile I'll check doing it out. i'm curious yeah also just a... one last thing oh, sure you know how you asked um rates for an update I actually forgot that I just got an update from. Do you remember Chris Randy? And oh, with the work with the yes. girl he had a crush on. And we called yes. him Randy or something. Um, I touched base with him, and I didn't realize he sent me a message ages ago, and I just saw it. And mm. he said he's doing really well. Um, oh, he found that everything we said was really insightful. He didn't realize he was an overthinker. Um, so he discovered that and he said that he resolved the issue um, and that he realized there was, you know, an- another aspect of his life that was kind of lacking. And then when he improved that, um, everything just fell into place. and It was nothing Amazing. to do with his relationship. So yeah, that was really wholesome. It Amazing. was really cute. Yes. Oh, that's that. amazing. Good I love it you. when you guys send in your questions. Um, so it's always fun to do that. Good on you, Randy. Um, and thank you, Rach. Uh, and thank you, Eliza. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. <laughs> um, I forgot to mention this at the top of the podcast. If you are watching this on YouTube from September 19th, uh, all my content will be posted on my main channel, youtube.com slash K. So I will no longer be posting content on, on this channel for a while. Uh, so make sure you subscribe to that one if you haven't already. Um, I'm sure most of you have, but just in case you haven't, make sure you are subscribed to that one. All right. Uh, Enjoy uh, the rest of your Wednesday if you are listening to this on a Wednesday, and we'll see you next time. See you next week.